Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. Glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. If you want to grab your Bible, turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53. I appreciate Eric leading the song before I got up here. Does Jesus care? Because that is what we will be talking about this morning. Not only recognizing and knowing that he cares, but also understanding how we know that he does care. Isaiah 53. Let's read the first five verses. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. Lord, they're all caps. That's his name, Yahweh. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was crushed for our transgressions. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Let us pray. Lord God, we would see Jesus this morning. Hold up before our eyes the cross of Christ so that we might see how he indeed has borne our sorrows and carried our griefs. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. I had a different subject picked out for this morning, but we can revisit that some other time because uh, as the week progressed, it came upon my heart that we are in a season of grief and sorrow. A couple of weeks ago, we were up at Bible camp and we visited with a family, the father, the husband, tragically had uh, just passed away. While we were up there, uh, the mother of uh, the husband of one of the counselors that was up there, his mother passed away. They, they had his funeral just this past week. We had a funeral here just this past week, our sister Charlotte Walton's brother has passed away. And it doesn't just have to be recent grief. No doubt, even as uh, we sit here this morning, many of you can recognize the, the grief, the burden of grief, sorrow that you carry with you because of recent days, weeks, months, years perhaps. Because the grief, it'll change, but it never really goes away. You have to step into a new normal. 
We're dealing with the, the problem, of course, of pain and suffering. And every world religion has to confront this. They do it in very different ways. Uh, for example, in the Buddhist religion, in Buddhism, life is, is full of suffering. But it's not evil. In fact, to talk about the problem of evil and, and suffering in Buddhism is a non-starter. It's just, uh, suffering is just a normal part of life. In Hinduism, evil is the result of uh, free will. You have uh, karma in that uh, particular religion, uh, where actions, both good and bad, kind of equal out in the long run. And um, Of course, uh, karma explains some of it. In fact, it, it isn't always a result of free will. Uh, often... What ends up happening is evil is just the result of the gods at play. In Islam, suffering is a test, a test of faith, it, and it uh, is used to correct unbelief. Suffering is the will of Allah, and you just must endure it. You've got to live through it with your faith in Allah. In New Age uh, religion, suffering, evil, they're... It's just an illusion that's created by the mind. And so the existence of evil, it's, uh, it's either minimized or just flat out denied. And of course, the religion that seems to be gaining momentum these days, secularism, humanism, which is rooted in materialism, well, the suffering just is. And uh, it's, just a, it's just the way things are. So you just got to endure it, as it were. Of course, each of these explanations for pain, suffering, reflect upon what these particular religions believe about God, what they say about God. In Buddhism, the God of Buddhism bids his followers to look within themselves in order to figure out how to respond to the suffering that you are experiencing or the suffering around you. The gods of Hinduism, remember, not all evil is the result of free will and, and karma and all that. Sometimes it's just the, the play of the gods, and so the gods of Hinduism, they're kind of mysterious beings. And, and we humans, we're just the playthings, the play toys of these gods. And, um, yeah, they you can't really understand why it is they do what they do. Allah, well, while it is the will of Allah that you suffer and you need to live with faith in Allah, Allah is actually very distant. He's an impersonal being. Talk about a, a personal relationship with Allah is nonsensical. The God of New Age religion is actually self. You're God. It's a self-deification uh, religion. And so uh, you, you just got to create your own reality, as it were, with the pain and the suffering. And, of course, secular humanism with its materialism. There are no gods, no soul, no God above, no soul within. And so you're just kind of on your own when it comes to pain and suffering. And, and uh, when folks pass away, all they are is uh, worm food, so much cosmic space dust that's returning back to the cosmos. Kind of bleak, nihilistic in the long run. All the pain, all the suffering. Where is Buddha in the pain? Where is Krishna in the suffering? Where is Allah in the sorrow? Where is the God of all these other religions? They are either disinterested 
or absent entirely. But what does Christianity offer that is different, even unique? With the problem of pain and the problem of suffering, what do we offer that's unique? And in contrast to all these other gods, well, if the gods of these other religions are disinterested, absent, aloof, or even non-existent, the Christian God is a God who comes near, who comes near and indeed himself suffers and endures the pain. What resources does the Christian God offer us when we're in the midst of pain and suffering? Really, what we're doing is we're asking the same questions that we sang just a few minutes ago. I appreciated Eric leading that song, Does Jesus Care? Let me just remind you of what we sang. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth and song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. Does Jesus care when my heart is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does He care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When, my deep, when for, for my deep grief I find no relief, though my tears flow all the night long. Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me. My sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to him? Does he see? And of course, the chorus provides the answer. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. No other religion can sing these lyrics and really mean it. Only the Christian God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Only in Christianity can we sing these words and they are true. You know the story behind this song. The story behind Does Jesus Care was written by Reverend Frank Graff. You may have noticed that name in the upper left hand. Uh, uh, right, right beneath the, the hymn, you have the songwriter and then who wrote the music. And, and Frank Graff is the, the one who wrote this song. He was a Methodist minister. He was dubbed the Sunshine Minister. He always uh, had a, a cheery disposition, a positive attitude about things. He was just a, a radiant personality. And he also had a special way with, uh, with children. Uh, you can think of our own Lou Wade, except, uh, I don't know, happier? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, Lou Wade uh, would maybe fit the bill for that, right? That was, that was uh, Frank Graff. And he had that bright disposition, but in spite of that positive attitude and positive disposition, Graff knew heartache. He'd lost an older sister and a younger sister when he was in his early 20s. In his later 20s, he lost first his mother and then his father 
And the year that Does Jesus Care was published, that was the same year that his youngest sister, Erasma, died. In fact, by that time, he was now 40 years old at the time, by that time, two-thirds of his immediate family had died. So what does a person do when they're surrounded by so much grief and so much sorrow? Well, it did take a toll on Graf. A series of heartaches took their toll, and it led to a season of depression, a season of despondency that uh, overtook Graf. Uh, his eyes kind of lost their sparkle, their smile kind of faded from his face. And in that season, he collapsed into the arms of the Everlasting One. One day, he was singing a familiar song. I think we know it. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And as Graf was singing that song, a passage of Scripture came to mind, 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Uh, we are invited to cast all of our anxieties upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. Of course. So Graf wrote a series of commonly asked questions, the verses of the song. And perhaps those were the very same questions that were weighing upon his own heart and upon his own mind at that time of life, and then he wrote the resounding chorus. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. The days are weary, the long nights dreary. I know my Savior cares. And maybe you sit there and, well, of course, yes, yes. He, uh, well and good, I, I recognize that. But how do we know? How do any of us know that Jesus really cares for me, especially when I'm hurting, and I'm hurting right now. I, I'm, I'm going through that season of sorrow and grief. How do I know that when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me, that Jesus really does care? That's a very good question. And for the answer, we come to Isaiah 53, the text that we read just a few minutes ago. Because we read here, Isaiah 53, a, a richly messianic text. It, it, is, it is pointing to Jesus. It is quoted in the New Testament, applied to Jesus. What Jesus did when he went to the cross. But I draw our attention especially to, to, to verse 3, where we are told that Jesus, our Lord, your Lord and mine, was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. We know Jesus cares because he came to suffer, and he did. We know that he was a man of sorrow, and he was, a, he was acquainted with grief. We know the Christian God, the one true and only God, understands suffering because as the Son, God the Son, he came, took on flesh, shared in flesh and blood, as we are told in Hebrews 2 and verse 14, and he suffered as a servant. And... Perhaps no text better accentuates the suffering servant of the one true and only God than Isaiah 53. It is predicting and prophesying what would take place over 700 years in the future. 
And then Isaiah is shown to be a true prophet because it comes to fulfillment exactly as prophesied. We need to first of all recognize the source of our Lord's sufferings. And it comes across very clearly in verses 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Notice the personal aspect of this. It is we, it is us, it is our, our griefs, our sorrows, our transgressions, our sins that are the source of the sufferings and sorrow of the Lord. In fact, the, we talked a bit about this in, in Bible class, about how Hebrew poetry is often constructed in, in a parallel fashion. We rhyme things with the words rhyming, but as our brother Harrison pointed out, in Hebrew poetry, it's the ideas that rhyme, not so much the words. And it's not a coincidence that verse 4 is paralleled with verse 5. Our griefs, our sorrows, is paralleled with our transgressions and our iniquities. It is the iniquity of us all that drove Christ to the cross so that he endured all of the pain and all the suffering that he endured. That, on the cross, is when he carries all of our sorrows and all of our griefs, and there is no greater sorrow and no greater grief than our own transgressions and iniquities, which break the heart of God. We acknowledge how heartbreaking losing a loved one, losing a relationship, the griefs and the sorrows that, that we confront even on a daily basis. But there is no greater sorrow, no, no greater cause of sorrow, no greater cause of grief than our own transgressions and our own iniquities. And these are the things that Christ came and bore on the cross. The heartbreaking thing especially is there in verses uh, 2 and 3. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. In, a midst, in the midst of a world that craves beautiful things, the Messiah was ugly. That is, we, there was nothing in him that drew us to him. In fact, what happens is, verse 3, he was despised and rejected. We rejected him. We despised him. We esteemed him not. Because that's what we do with ugly things. In fact, one of his own followers dealt treacherously with him, betrayed him for just a, a few pieces of silver. It is our, sor it is our, our sins which is the deepest cause of our sorrows, but it is, all, it is the, the sins of the whole world that Jesus came to bear, yes? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who bears the sins of the world on the cross they're laid upon him. And it was his deep sense of what sin does to us. That was the deepest sorrow of all for Messiah. Does he care? He does. Because he understands at a level that we 
cannot fathom just what sin does, the corruption that sin brings. And, and it's all rooted in the various sins that, that we are all too familiar with, whether it's hypocrisy or hatred or greed or selfishness or worldliness or evil thoughts. These are the sources of the suffering of our Lord. How deep was his suffering, physical suffering? And, and it's pictured here how he was pierced. We know about the nails, great big long railroad spikes driven into the sacred flesh, his hands and his feet. We talk about the crown of thorns placed upon his head, the scorpion that he received by the hands of the Romans. The Jewish people had the 40 lashes minus one. The Romans didn't stop. And indeed, the full fury of the wrath of the Father was poured out on the Son because He's taking our place. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon Him. All of this is to talk about the, the physical suffering. In fact, later on in this same chapter, He was cut off from the land of the living. He poured out His soul unto death. Indeed, Christ does die on the cross for us, for our sins, for our transgressions. We could also talk about the uh, emotional pain, the, the spiritual pain. You remember on the cross, what is it he cries? One of the things he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and now we're really bordering on that, uh, that, that border of, of mystery here about how God the Father, uh, he forsakes God the Son. That is the, the relationship of the Father and the Son that has been uninterrupted from eternity as God the Son bears all of our sins and our transgressions on the cross. That He expresses what His heart is feeling. God, my God, why have You forsaken me? the emotional trauma of a relationship which has never been broken, the spiritual trauma as, as the, the triune God, which has always known fellowship, while the Son bears the sins of the world. One writer put it this way, Jesus' sufferings would have been eternally unbearable. That's what Jesus takes upon the cross for you and for me. He is bearing all of our griefs and all of our sorrows. And yes, He is a man of sorrow. And He is acquainted with grief. And let me just remind us where we started. No other world religion has this. This is what is unique about Christianity and the Christian God. No other God does this. No other God even comes close to this. To leave the splendors of glory in heaven in order to take on flesh and dwell among us and experience suffering to such a degree that it's comprehensible for us. An all-powerful God who is willing to take on the limitations of the creature and then to take on the suffering of the creature at the hands of the creature. It is the hands of sinful men that put to death the Lord of glory God did not sit idly by. He was not disinterested from a distance. He was not ignorant in isolation. He became one of us. 
then dies in our place. Quickly, what is the, the significance of the suffering servant here? First of all, earlier in Isaiah, we are reminded that the one who would be born of woman is to be named Emmanuel. And the word, the name Emmanuel means God with us. And indeed, he is God with us, but he's also the God who suffers for us and suffers with us. In this, he is showing us the true nature of God. Scripture asks in a number of places, Who is like you, O Lord? And the answer that is given is, well, there's none like God. Uh, Let me give you just one example of this in Psalm 113 and verse 4, verses 4 through 9. Psalm 113, beginning in verse 4, Yahweh is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. See, so he is far off, right? Yes, he is enthroned in heaven as the majestic king of kings. Verse 5, who is like Yahweh our God, who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth, so transcendent that he's untouchable? Well, no, because the rest of the psalm says, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. And let me just say also, He raises the poor in spirit so that we are inheritors of the kingdom. Why, it is a blessing to be poor in spirit. And and who are the most needy of all but those who are so deep in their sin that they can't get out of their own power and by themselves? And He comes to help us and raises us from the ash heap of sin to make them sit with princes, with the princes of His people, He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Do you see? Yes, he is the transcendent, holy, holy, holy God. And yet he condescends. He stoops down. Well, to get his hands dirty, as it were. And to be with us. And to make the weak and the hurting great. And to heal the brokenhearted and Coming back to Isaiah 53, the end of verse 5 we read, With his wounds we are healed. And again, there is no greater healing than healing from the disease of sin. A disease which brought only death. You sin, you die. The wages of sin is death. And indeed, we needed healing from that. And that's what Christ does on the cross is He brings us the healing that we most desperately needed. And as a result of that, then yes, He can heal all the other griefs and sorrows. And if not in this life, He will do it in the next because we know that heaven is a place where God wipes away all tears. It is a place indeed that we sing about where we sing that there are no tears in heaven because the hand of our Father wipes them away. Out of the worst imaginable suffering, God himself, according to his flesh, dying on the cross, 
out of that worst imaginable evil, God brings about the greatest imaginable good, and that is the salvation of sinners. The spiritual healing that we needed from the disease of sin, it comes to us who have put our faith and our trust in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is God performing the greatest divine reversal of all, that out of this most evil action, the greatest imaginable good comes. It is out of this that we can say there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it is out of this that although the creation was subjected to futility, it will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is the cosmic level of the healing that Christ brings. It is through the suffering of Christ that God reconciles all things to himself, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Colossians 1 and verse 20 tells us. Where is the Christian God in the midst of pain and suffering? The answer through Christ is right here with us. He suffers for us on the cross, and he also suffers with us, and he responds to the pain. He turns evil on its head in order to serve his good and glorious purposes. And he brings healing and righteousness and redemption. And it is through the suffering predicted here centuries before Christ ever walked the planet and then fulfilled exactly and perfectly. Does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. How do we know? We know he cares because he took on flesh, dwelt among us, and then he took upon himself our deepest cause of grief and sorrow, which is sin, our transgression and our iniquities. This is how we know our Savior cares. Let's commit this to prayer. Merciful Father, it is so good to know that you care for us at a level which, well, quite frankly, words fail us to describe. We give you all the praise and honor and glory that is due you for what you have shown us in Christ Jesus. For the hearts this morning that are burdened with grief and with sorrow, Father, I thank you that you have put before us the cross. May we see just how Jesus has borne our sorrows and our griefs in the cross. As we step into new normals, as we carry forward uh, these things, we pray that you would continue to do the good and holy work in our hearts and in our minds of granting healing. And then we pray, Lord, come quickly so that we can know and experience the land of fadeless day, the land where there are, there are no tears because you yourself personally wiped away all of our tears. 
there is no death. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. My friend, you have heard the gospel. You've heard about a God, the one true and only God, who left heaven, took on flesh, dwelt among us, and went to a cross in your place. What will you do with Jesus? You see, he cares for you. That he loves you with an everlasting love. Reject him no more. Despise him no longer. But instead, come this morning. In a moment, Eric will lead us in a song, and that song is designed to encourage you to come forward and to express how you desire to put your Lord on in baptism. It means turning away from sin. It means confessing Christ Jesus as Lord. It means submitting yourself to be baptized, immersed in water, to have all your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, the same blood he shed on the cross. Raised to live new life with Christ, the Holy Spirit taking up residence, dwelling within you, helping you to live the life that God desires for you to live. My friend, if this is something that you desire to do, today is the day of salvation. And in a moment, come forward and express how you desire to do that. Most of us, many of us, we've done that. My brother, my sister. We've asked and answered the question that Jesus does care. But perhaps there is some burden, some, some sadness, some sorrow, which is just weighing so heavily upon your heart and your mind. You feel crushed under the weight. I would remind you that Jesus knows and that he himself was crushed as well. You need the help that comes from your brothers and sisters, the help that comes from your father as we lift you up in prayer. You know in a moment that when Eric leads us, that's your opportunity to come forward and express these things that are upon your heart. And we'll surround you with love and we'll lift you up in prayer to our father in heaven. If it's something of a personal nature and you want a private setting, one of our shepherds will be available in the conference room. Make your way to the conference room and, and do the same thing there. You can uh, share with them what's on your heart, and they'll do the same thing there that we'll do here, and that's surround you with love and lift you up in prayer to our Father in heaven. Maybe it's uh, unrelated to, to what we've been talking about this morning. It's uh, something physical or, or emotional or, or spiritual, what have you. The invitation is for you as well. And so the lesson is yours, and the invitation is open. Won't you come right now while we stand and as we sing?